Hello and welcome, this is Alchemy and it's great to have your company again. We're free and on demand from iTunes and alchemyradio.net and you can follow us and join the Alchemy community on Facebook and Twitter, so don't be shy about saying hello. We've lots of exciting and interesting guests to come in the months ahead and I must say I'm very much looking forward to what the future holds. So, on to the show. Alchemy. Alchemy. This week's guest is US-based radio host, activist and organizer of the Free Your Mind conference every year in Philadelphia, Bob Tuscan. Bob has a rich and eclectic background, which I'm sure he'll tell us more about. So without further ado, it's a great honor to have him on. Bob Tuscan, you're very welcome. How are things? I don't know about an honor, man. Jeez. Um, I'm here. Um, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. I've been looking forward to this as well. Well, the pleasure's all mine. And I'm going to hit you with the question that I ask everybody when they come on the show first. And that's how did you get from where you were to where you are now, Bob? Well, to be honest, it started um, with my mother who has a vagina and my father who has a penis. Always a help. Uh, What's that? That's always a help. Yeah, it is. It is. It, it was a uh, <laughs> a match made in heaven, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result of them coming together, uh, literally, I was <laughs> conceived. <laughs> and uh, the rest is then taken over by the evildoers. Unfortunately, my folks had a hospital birth. I was born in the traditional fashion. That's not so traditional. Yeah where we have a doctor in a hospital setting, a setting that is one of typical uh, trauma and of people who are sick. It's just bad vibes all around. And then, of course, they couple that with vaccinating me. And somehow I'm still able to put together a sentence and not be drooling every second of the day. It's, it really is a miracle. Now, that being said, when I was uh, a young lad, I was somebody who asked profound questions. I was a little Aristotle that wanted to know, why am I here? What is knowledge? How do we acquire knowledge? What is the purpose of us? What are ethics? What is morality? What is natural law? And I had all of these thoughts as a very young lad. Well, slowly but surely, I began to expand my consciousness from the culture that I inherited. What I mean by that is I inherited a culture just like everyone else. I didn't get to choose uh, who, which parents conceived me. I didn't get to choose that. I don't know about you, but I wasn't. And, and some might argue karmically or whatever. I don't know. Karmically, is that a word? It is now. Yeah. Anyways, some might argue that we do choose to be here in this vessel, in this body spiritually uh, before we even get here, yada, 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 right? But I didn't necessarily consciously choose um, that these parents in this culture, in this day and age, in this society, and so on and so forth, was what I would be brought into, thrown into, however you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. What I did 
What I did indeed figure out was that the culture inherited was one of a group mentality, one of a very shallow and sheepish type mentality. And early on, I kind of got that. I kind of always felt like I was a black sheep. Uh, and that's funny because we we joke about the sheeple, which I think's derogatory because I have now come to a higher understanding that just because other people, my brothers and sisters and so on and so forth, are not at our our level of consciousness or whatever you want to look at it, mm. doesn't necessarily make them sheep per se. It's just something that they've fallen into. And they have within them the ability to choose at any given time. And that is what we tend to fault them for, not making that choice to get beyond that. But I made that choice. And and I was lucky to do so because at the age of 10, my folks punished me. And I'm going to date myself here because, John, the way in which they punished me, this is funny. They took away my TV mind control programming for me, from me, rather. <laughs> okay, what a so, punishment. Yeah, I know. So so looking back, it's like, wow, what a great punishment. You know, that really <laughs> helped because now I've rid myself for, you know, that's way back. I've rid myself of all of those programs. Yeah. And they call it programming for a reason, right? That's it. So I was... Um, stripped of my privileges to watch television because I was, you know, such a bad kid. And I found radio. Out of desperation, I found radio. And this might seem to be just as bad. And it is on some levels. Radio, you know, talk radio um, was a concept that I didn't know existed. Hmm. And all of a sudden I said, holy smokes, people actually talk on the radio and have topical conversations. And this kind of blew my mind as a young child. I thought radio was only music and that kind of thing. I had no idea whatsoever that it consisted of um, other elements and namely talk radio being the one that fascinated me the most. Right. So I called into a radio show. I realized that not only is it a talk format, but it's also one that's driven by phone calls. And I was listening to this show for many, many months. And finally, I got the courage to call in. I said, what if I, what if I call in? You know what? I have things to say. Mm. And the topic, I'll never forget it on this radio show, was wrestling. And whether or not professional wrestling, you know, like uh, Hulk Hogan, WWF kind of deal. Yeah. Whether or not it was a legitimate storyline, right? Okay. If it was a legitimate battle and fight amongst these characters. Mm. And I called up and I was so nervous and it was like nine, ten o'clock. I, I went and basically hid in the closet so my parents wouldn't hear me. <laughs> and I said... They said, okay, we're going to put you on the air. I said, okay, okay, and I'm, I'm shaking, shaking. And I said, uh, they said, um, Bob, you're on the air. And I said, um, hi, uh, I just wanted to say that uh, wrestling's fake, and they're all actors, and they're just p- playing char- a character. 
And the host said, oh, where are you? How old are you? Of course, it was quite apparent that he had a 10-year-old calling into his talk radio show. Not very common. Uh, and I said, I'm 10. And, you know, he treated me royally. Uh, and I really developed a devout love for talk radio and contributing to talk radio and became a regular caller at a very young age. It's ironic now looking back that the first call of mine was basically to point out that pro wrestling is fake <laughs> and that they're just playing a game. And now I look at politics and we see that they're just wrestlers, you know, and it's the Democratic wrestler versus the Republican wrestler. Yeah. And it's the same show in Smoke and Mirrors. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there's uh, the irony is not lost, but uh, we've a lot to thank that initial talk show host then as well because if you'd been treated in a different way on air your path could have been completely different too isn't it funny how there are so many crossroads in our life where we could go down one timeline if the if the situation was just one note off maybe mm. or you know it had just varied slightly there's so many points in our life where we see the, that crossroad and if i would have if this just would have happened i might have been in a very different place it's an amazing thing uh, and we could talk about synchromysticism and synchronicity because i believe that that is an absolutely profound function of our fractal reality uh, and i talk about this in the spiritual component of my recent lecture at the freer mind conference which was titled scarcity based mind control and the liberation of the mind body and spirit i'll get to that in a little bit mm. um, but just to flesh out where i came from without boring the listeners with a personal story because much of this again is beyond me much of this is a response to things outside of me um, by no means am i looking at this from an uh, eco egocentric rather i said eco egocentric you know fashion but nonetheless it's kind of interesting how it happened because from that love of talk radio and that discovery of talk radio and me being punished um, with the TV taken away, I also found a voice late at night from the desert of Nevada. And his name was Art Bell. Yeah. Art Bell. And Art Bell presented stuff on his show that was not political and was beyond all of the things that we were told were taboo or sci-fi or paranormal or whatever. Mm. So he, pres he presented all of these interesting kind of far out things. And one of the guests early on, I'm, I'm 12 years old, I'm listening to a guy named Terrence McKenna. Wow. Talk about, you know, uh, all sorts of an amazing things. Uh, in regards to psychedelics and entheogens and expanding your consciousness and culture and so on and so forth. And I'm listening to this stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, and then I hear a show about ghosts and I'm thinking, oh, you know, there might be something to this or might not. And then I hear a show about aliens, but then I hear a show about MK Ultra and mind control. Mm. And then I hear a show about remote viewing, you know? So in other words, it really honed in my ability to be an agnostic thinker. 
Sure. Yeah. So I slowly was shed of the idea that just because something is outlandish and taboo and maybe, you know, silly according to the mainstream doesn't necessarily mean that we can't entertain these thoughts and look for the truth. And if the truth is there, so be it. If it's not, so be it. In other words, Aristotle has a great quote where he says that it's the art of a good thinker to be able to entertain a thought without necessarily accepting it nor negating it. That's a paraphrase of his uh, famous quote. But it's absolutely powerful because I think that's what has so many of us bound by attachment. The fact that we're not able to just take something, sit with it, let it sit with us and then make a decision based on both sides of the fence as opposed to what we're predisposed towards through attachment or through our conditioning as we're brought up. So what a gift to be able to come across at the age of 12 or 13. That's amazing. It was really cool. It was really cool. And I, and that stayed with me to this day uh, and helped to continue my, my trip down the rabbit hole. So I started doing talk radio uh, and I did so, I'll admit, in a shallow fashion as a teenager. I actually had my first talk show at the age of 15 and was broadcasting in South Florida and Miami and um, Fort Lauderdale mm -hmm. uh, to a major market. And at that time, the show consisted mostly of prank calls and uh, funny gimmicks. Right. Okay. So I, I had been exploring what I saw as successful radio or was presented with as successful talk radio because of a desire to want to do that professionally mm -hmm. and emulated folks like Howard Stern for better or for worse. Well, I quickly became disillusioned with talk radio and the direction that it was heading. Uh, at that time, Clear Channel, a major talk radio conglomerate, was buying up stations throughout the country, firing local talk show hosts, and putting on Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh in every single market. There was a centralized control of propaganda being implemented by folks like Clear Channel, namely a major conglomerate of talk stations. Yeah. And this was very scary to me because not only did it put people out of work and leave very little room for someone to be successful in the talk radio business, it also centralized the information and created a filter on a very high level that was then being trickled down to every single market from one person and one handler and one company. Mm. So that was disturbing to me and I eventually got disillusioned and as I uh, got older and started to decide, you know, what am I going to do, go to college, yada, 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 I just decided to kind of drop it and go to college. Um, and that was in 2003? Ish. And at that point, and again, forgive me, folks, for dating myself. You know, let's not be ageist here. I know. I'm a young whippersnapper. I get it. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm still young, blah, blah, blah. No, but I think that, that, that makes two of us, Bob. Okay, good. Well, we're young whippersnappers together then. All right. So we get that out of the way. That way you can listen to this hopefully without the same bias. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> uh, you know, I was at university and... 
I was at that point. I had known that the election fraud took place. I was very anti-war at that point. I was very interested in learning uh, about you know geopolitics, and uh, I was starting to see through many of the political situations. And again, I had that background, of course, of going beyond with my listening to Coast to Coast and so on and so forth, uh, this crazy, radical conspiracy late night talk show. And a friend of mine showed me a DVD. It was called 9-11 In Plain Sight. And this DVD was shown to me under the pretext of, you got to see this. It's going to blow your mind. Right. (laughs) So I watched it. And sure enough, this was before Loose Change, right before Loose Change was released. Hmm. Sure enough, it blew my mind. And I instantly was looking for an outlet to express myself on this topic. I was saying, why the hell is nobody else looking at this? This was right in front of our face. The title of the uh, documentary, of course, In Plain Sight, quite clever. It was really disturbing to me that the most traumatic event in my lifetime at that point was one of which was filled with lies and propaganda and used as a pretext to the wars that I was already against and so on and so forth. You can go on and on and on about it. I'll spare people because by now most of the listeners to this show anyways, they know all the ins and outs. We don't have to sell them on this. you know. And whether or not it was one aspect of how it was done versus another aspect of how it was done, doesn't really matter. The point being, it really, really got me impassioned and pissed off and made me want to go out there and do something because I was telling my family they didn't want to hear it. At that time, it was still early. Very little people uh, were into this or very few people rather were into this. And, you know, it just it, it wasn't something that at the end of the day people wanted to even talk about yeah it was so emotional for them it it triggered so so many trauma-based emotions that at that time people didn't even want it to surface just the the fact that it was mentioned at all was um something that put people on edge and so on and so forth but i it didn't stop me because i've never been the type of personality to avoid confrontation several thanksgivings ended up uh, pretty messy You know, I got, I stormed out, you know, family uh, meetings and day-to-day interactions. And I'm thinking, why is nobody wanting to hear this? Everybody wants to escape. Nobody wants to even look into this. And it was driving me absolutely insane. I can relate to this. Now, I sat down and I said to myself, what can I do about this? And I said, oh shit, that's right. I do talk radio. Mm. I have a passion for talk radio. And what if I use my skills in talk radio that I had developed and my passion for talk radio, which I at that point had dropped for several years. What if I rekindle that experience and utilize it to bring awareness and be an activist and get out and expand on these topics 
and continue my research in a public fashion and share it with others so that I can keep just the slightest amount of sanity. And that's what, that's the answer to your, your question. I'm sorry it was so long-winded, but that's how I got here. It's a fantastic answer and very well articulated and very entertainingly put, I must say, as well. So uh, possibly the best answer we've had on this show to that question. I enjoyed it immensely. And it sets us up and gives us a nice framework from which to move forward now as well, because you mentioned your topic at the last Free Your Mind conference in Philadelphia, and we will talk about the next one a little bit later on. But that was scarcity-based mind control. So I think that's possibly a good place to start because the world is under a form of mind control whether people choose to accept that or not and your take on it and your angle that you take that being scarcity based is one that was quite new to me until I came across your work I did realise that there were nuggets of it in so many other people's work but you actually smacked me in the face with it so I think I'd like to start with that if you're okay with it and first sure. off to ask what exactly Bob is scarcity based mind control many of us have heard of MK Ultra and trauma based mind control and various other forms of it but scarcity based is something a little bit different so what can you tell us about that to kick us off the famous uh, <clears throat> the famous behavioralist Pavlov did an experiment with chickens he provided chickens with an abundance of food and water whenever they were hungry or thirsty they would go to the feeder and it would constantly be there in abundance they would never have to worry about a shortage they always had complete access to it it was always there He observed their behaviors. Hmm. He then decided that he'd introduce scarcity to these chickens and their food. So he removed the food and took it away from them. He reintroduced the food in abundance. And at that point, he observed new behaviors. Only then did the chickens develop the behavior of hoarding. Because when the food was no longer in abundance, they then looked at it differently when it was in abundance. Right. So when he reintroduced that food, they said, oh, I better hold on to some of this. And that's my chicken voice, by the way. I better (laughs) hold on to some of this. And uh, uh, I better store some of this food because, you know, scarcity is is a factor now. So they would hoard. Uh, He could get them to steal. He could get them... Uh, to uh, create a, a pecking order, a hierarchy mm. of, of chickens and, you know, which chicken was in charge, uh, you know, a pyramid, if you will, all right? Uh, he could even get the chickens under intense manipulation of s- scarcity of their food and water supply to kill one another. Ladies and gentlemen, human beings are not chickens. Hmm. That is why we should not be manipulated and brainwashed, mind controlled through the means of scarcity based mind control, a, a term that as far as I know, I've coined. And the bottom line is, yes, we're not animals. No, we're not chickens. But we are still, for whatever reason, being manipulated in the same way that the chickens were manipulated in the aforementioned example. Uh, And that is done in many different fashions. 
It's not just done with our food and water supply. Um, the scarcity concept for human beings anyways goes beyond that. There's emotional scarcities. There's a scarcity of feeling safe. And the opposite of um, being well and being secure is being sick or being in fear. Mm -hmm. And that is all because of a lack of an abundance of feeling well or feeling secure, i.e. scarcity. Okay, So if we look at trauma-based mind control, it essentially has its roots in scarcity-based mind control. Because when you're in a state of trauma, you are lacking a feeling of content. Mm. And when you're lacking that content, you are then able to be manipulated and draw conclusions that are fed to you in the typical Hegelian dialectic fashion that we've observed so many times. Problem, reaction, solution. Yeah. That problem is one always in any scenario found in scarcity. The reaction is to reintroduce abundance or excuse me, the solution that you react and then the solution is then to reintroduce abundance. And how you do that is oftentimes where the manipulation comes into play and oftentimes misleaded for the sake of those who are manipulating and using your minds for their overall agenda. And that agenda we know is an aberrant one, uh, an evil one, and is one that is um, leaving us in a very vulnerable position. That right there is kind of the Cliff Notes view of scarcity-based mind control, okay? Yeah. There, there's more um, to each component of it, you know, whether it's the health-based component, you know, we know that our health, and health is a big topic for me because of all the things that we can and cannot control, health is one of those things that we have probably the most amount of control over to a certain degree. Yeah. You know, obviously things in our air supply, we can't necessarily control, but we can do things to mitigate uh, the, um, the health problems that come from us breathing in. Uh, the various things in our atmosphere, <clears throat> i.e. barium, aluminum, and strontium. Yeah. So we can do things, in other words, to protect on an individual level our health and avoid a slew of poisons that, here's the thing that people forget, we don't have to consume. That's the thing about it is everybody wants to talk about fluoride and uh, GMOs and high fructose corn syrup and aspartame and the list goes on and on and on and on. And I'm so glad that people talk about these things, but let's not choose to be a victim because the cool thing about it is now that we've exposed these poisons for the nasty junk they are, we can choose not to consume any of them. Any of them. You don't have to take them. Nobody's holding you down for crying out loud and forcing the tube of fluoride down your nose. And you know what, Bob? That's something that's not actually aired anything like as often as it could and should be. Because while we do hear so much about the evils 
of some of the things you've just mentioned and as you say the list goes on and on we very rarely hear what you've just said i.e. you don't actually have to consume them there is this kind of almost this inherent assumption that we have to consume everything that is put on the shelves or in front of us when we actually don't and there are numerous alternatives and solutions provided we take some personal responsibility for ourselves yeah, I think so many people forget that. And it's so much easier to put the onus on an exterior cause or whatever it might be. It's always easier to focus on being the victim to mm. a certain extent and, and the victimizer, right? Um, but the real power comes from focusing on yourself and how to deal with that. And how to choose not to do these things. And it's not rocket science, man. I'm not I'm not coming up with something that nobody doesn't are anybody rather doesn't already know uh, intuitively. But I think we forget it. I forget it in my own life. I'll be honest. I, I forget it all the time mm. that I have that power, that I have that ability. So coming from the understanding that scarcity is used to manipulate us. And that it has all of these different forms that it takes. Um, and, and rather, it has all of these different contexts in which it, affect, it affects our lives. I then wanted to take a look at a solution-oriented approach to easing the scarcity and not leaving us vulnerable to conditions of scarcity. Mm, sure. So it's a pretty fancy way of saying that if food and the distribution of food is so vital to our ability to survive, to live, and there is a vulnerability of its abundance, and there is a vulnerability to its well-being. Therefore, we should probably look at keeping different uh, <laughs> different things in place to make sure that there is an abundance of that food uh, and water supply. And we should probably focus on ways in which to do that. All right. Does that make sense or did I convolute that too much? No, that makes complete sense because I think there is a tendency to always look to an external source for whatever it is that we require. So if it's food or shelter, the hand goes out and it's, oh, government give us this or somebody else give us that or whatever. But I think what you're talking about there makes complete sense. And it does stem back to what I said about personal responsibility a couple of minutes ago. Right. So... What I wanted to do was say, hey, all right, so the title of the talk, Scarcity-Based Mind Control and the Liberation of the Mind, Body, and Spirit. So the liberation is to ease that scarcity and to look at the abundance and how to maintain abundance and how to not be vulnerable to scarcity created outside of our own control. Right. Now, there's so many different ways in which we can do that. Um, I've focused on preparedness as one means to do that, to basically be prepared to maintain an abundance in a situation of contrived or forced scarcity. 
Um, and that can look like uh, a natural disaster. That can look like a false flag attack, uh, an EMP attack that takes down our grid, whatever it might be. Mm. But the cool thing about this stuff is there is indeed abundance in so many different areas of our world and within ourselves. So there is indeed free energy or better yet abundant energy technology out there that does exist. And even though it's not proliferated and used in a fashion as widespread as it should be, and even though it might be difficult for you to on a personal level have a Tesla device which allows you to tap into the abundance of energy in our world. You still can do things like solar panels and that kind of thing eventually uh, if you focus your intentions and your desire to prepare yourself in that regard uh, that provide an abundance at least above and beyond being connected to a grid where there's immense vulnerability and therefore possibility of scarcity. So there are little things you can do. And even if it's when we're talking about energy, it's not related to some sort of technology. And I do strongly believe that technology has given us an impeccable position to be in right now in the 21st century. Are we in the 21st, 22nd, just, whatever the century we're just in. about. Okay, whatever century. I don't even know what century we're in. Does it even matter? <laughs> Goes to show you. All right, so even though we have some such crazy great technology, you know, in 1900, one machine was able to take over the energy involved uh, with what normally it would have taken thousands of men to produce. One machine. Mm. You know, never before in human history have we reached a point where technology is, and don't get me wrong, it's a double-edged sword, but where technology is such a force of abundance, taking our natural abundance in nature. And when we look at nature, we see abundance. When I look at a rainforest or I look at even a desert to a certain degree, I see an abundance and ecology there that is so amazing and that is so beautiful that it really brings home in my eyes that the mother na mother nature and our cosmic reality whether we have a flat earth or not is aside the point here i won't go there <laughs> don't but um you know the point i'm making is that we really do have an abundance you know we of you look at fractals in nature and you see just so many beautiful redundancies and, and you know, just synergistic beauty everywhere you look. Mm. Uh, and permaculture really stresses that and is the way we ought to go with the way we grow our food and, and provide um, nutrients for our society. You know, this monoculture agricultural model is going to induce unnecessary scarcity and allow for power brokers like Monsanto to exploit. But when you utilize a very diverse and well 
tuned machine, which is permaculture, which is the natural function of abundance that nature has already. You know, uh, this synergistic connection between plants and, you know, uh, deposition, uh, compost, and, you know, just this amazing connection where you have water creating, you know, I'm sounding very flowery here and I'm not intending to, but it's just so beautiful and, and hard to necessarily articulate because articulate because it's so intricate and it's just so amazing that none of this is something that we have to reinvent the wheel uh, about because it's already exists in nature as is. Yeah, and it's, it's pretty cool. It's there for us, and anybody interested in maybe delving further into what permaculture is all about, they can reference episode number sixty-one of this show. And I had a good chat with Jeff Lawton about just that, and the power that you're talking about there. It's not something that's airy fairy. It's not some kind of new age nonsensical ideal it's something that can be done on a practical level and can be done step by step as you said earlier it's not about reinventing the wheel it's about using what's already there for us to use that nature provides for us it's just about changing the way we think and then acting upon it yeah exactly right exactly right and we've been conditioned to get outside of that and what I'm trying to do is break through those programs and show you that uh, there is abundance and how we come across and how we create that abundance in our life will vary but it is there and it is so powerful and it is one of the biggest threats to those that want to maintain control because of this newfound abundance the powers that shouldn't be Mm. are starting to lose control or at least I hate to say this have the potential to lose control which they don't like because for thousands of years conditions of scarcity were more prevalent we hadn't um, experienced the same opportunities traditionally that we've experienced today right so at one point there were more profound realities of scarcity and for thousands of years people were conditioned and had ingrained into their psyche that these conditions of scarcity were legitimate. And as a result, we saw certain nepotism and traditional uh, occulted and esoteric groups Mm. come together to preserve their control because that is what you do or that is what they were taught to do in these conditions of scarcity. So the powers that shouldn't be, which is my term for the elite scumbags that rape and kill each other. Yeah. um, (laughs) These guys (laughs) and gals have been products of the same trauma-based, scarcity-based mind control that many of us, the useless eaters, Goyim, have been uh, a product of, right? Mm. So so we got to remember that, that they're, too, coming from this. And they didn't realize, or they did realize, but they didn't want to let go of these realities, uh, that we are now able to get beyond that. And that's why we see such an immense agenda to suppress free energy, to suppress 
uh, these abundance-based systems. That's why we see a maintaining of debt-based currency and central banks that basically keep in place debt, i.e. scarcity. See, another interesting component here is, is money. And money is the ultimate tool of scarcity-based mind control. Money in its essence is scarcity. That is what money is. You know, you want to talk about debt? Well, what's another word for debt? Yeah, well, it's, it's got to be scarcity. It's a lack of something. Right. So money in its very nature is a tool, is a basic um, symbol of scarcity. Mm. And that money... Uh, and that notion of money, and I'm not just talking about Federal Reserve notes. I'm talking about gold and silver, too. Why is gold and silver valuable? It's not necessarily because it's shiny and it looks nice. Right? You know, who cares? Well, it can't be. What? I mean, tinfoil, as we call it, or aluminum foil in the U.S., yeah. is also shiny and nice. <laughs> Can we please say aluminium? Aluminium. Okay. I was trying Thank to get the pronunciation correct. And no matter what I say, I always get corrected. <laughs> we just call it tinfoil here. <laughs> well, I know, the, I know the Brits say aluminium, right? Yeah. Well, that would <laughs> be the way I would normally say it. Aluminium. Is yeah. it? Okay, good, good, good. Um, so aluminum foil, it's shiny, and you know if you're if you think that's really what makes something valuable, then and jewelry, then we'd be walking around with tinfoil hats, and they would actually be uh, you know a cool thing to wear. Uh, but no, <laughs> they're just for us conspiracy theorists. That's it. So um, the real value in gold and silver comes from its scarcity. But what if I was to tell you that that scarcity is a thing of the past? Because new technology allows for us, using ocean seawater, to extract all of the elements necessary to create gold and silver. In one square mile of ocean seawater, using certain technologies, you can extract every single element necessary to create gold or silver. And you can do so in such an abundance that it trumps the gold that has been harvested from the ground and it makes it so abundant that the value of it would be so diminished that nobody in their right mind would ever want to do it. Plus, it's cheaper to get it from the ground than it is to use this technology. Yeah, and you see, if I'm sitting at the top table and I'm the person who has the current resources in this scarcity-based uh, debt paradigm that we exist within at the moment, I'm not going to want an abundance of that, am I? Because why would I diminish something that I already have my hands on as we speak? It's, it, that, that's going to be ceding the control that I've taken from other people and giving it back to them. And that would never do. Right, exactly. So, so. with regard to money <laughs> then, Bob, because you have really flipped it 180 in terms of perspective and it's a hugely truthful Perspective. I mean, there, there's no degree of truth. Truth just is. But it's another way that until I came across your work, I hadn't really looked at it. While I had done so much study on Federal Reserve and debt and usury and etc. etc. and the evils of it, money to me was always something still to acquire 
because it was something that was needed. So I looked at it in a positive sense. If I've more of that, well, then I'll be better off. However, you've actually flipped it 180, as I said, and it's the fact that money is there in the first place, certainly when we're talking about fiat currencies, that is the scarcity. Money is the scarcity. It's not the lack of money that's the scarcity. It's the money itself that creates that scarcity. And that's a very different perspective for me. And I think it will be for a lot of people. How did you kind of stumble across that idea? Whose work was it that led you down that path? Or was it something that just came to you yourself gradually over time? Well, one of the most profound questions that I think anyone can ask is what is money? What is it really? You know, what is money really all about? So, on that trip down the rabbit hole, I started to look at the nature of the Federal Reserve. I watched a, a clever uh, piece called Money as Debt, mm-hmm. which is a, a cartoon documentary. And I just started putting together puzzle pieces. And then I came across um, someone here locally by the name of Dr. Hart Stringfellow. And Dr. Hart Stringfellow belonged to a group in the 1930s that was one of the first groups to show that scarcity-based economics was outdated and was a thing of the past. And that a new model, which they called um, various different names, but essentially is, I think, most correctly referred to as post-scarcity economics, uh, was one to really get us beyond the constraints and the paradigm that the nature of money have has kept us in and has traditionally followed for thousands of years. So they were the first ones to say, you know, because once I realized that money system was debt based and yada, 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 and how it kind of worked and how it was, you know, a representation of distribution and so on and so forth, once I kind of realized that the obvious way my mind works is that it wants to look at solutions. So if not this, then what? And whenever we ask that question, right, it opens up a can of worms, of course, and takes us to all sorts of different areas. Mm. If not capitalism, then what? Well, not communism. So if not communism, then what? And both capitalism and communism, uh, since I've brought them up, operate utilizing the same fundamental tool, and that is money. Mm. That's one thing you'll notice about the two ends of the spectrum. The only difference is how that money is split up and regulated and used and so on and so forth. So I was looking for something very different. And I was looking for something beyond the current paradigm of money altogether. And how do you do that? Well, the answer is, if you have X amount of toaster ovens, and everybody out there also has X amount of toaster ovens, Mm -hmm. and there is a complete abundance of those toaster ovens, right? So you can always get, anybody at any time can get however many toaster ovens they want. Right. You following me? Yep. Well then how many toaster ovens do you really need in your home? You only need one, maybe a backup one. Mm. And if all of those other toaster ovens are there in complete abundance and nobody else has a desire to hoard or trade toaster ovens because they're in complete abundance, then what's the point of 
fighting wars for toaster ovens. No point. Are you following me here? Yeah. I know I'm using a very bizarre example no, no, completely. in toaster ovens. Completely. So if there's no point for fighting wars for toaster ovens, both literal wars and economic wars, economic games based on economic models and economic presumptions of scarcity, if there's no point, then, then why not just have a toaster oven and use it for its practical purpose? And if anything, why not look to a real valuable marketplace and renaissance of higher level thinking and research and thought that is going to trump uh, the current petty scarcity materialistic things and reality that we deal with. So I feel that, okay, so back to the human beings not being an animal, not only are we not an animal, animal, but the social Darwinist and those out there that want to keep us fighting amongst ourselves, they seem to forget, or they, they might not, but they try to make us forget that human beings are actually really pretty far out there. I mean, we have philosophy, we have higher level thinking, we have all sorts of spirituality, all sorts of art, music, you know, all of these amazing things. And we're being robbed of the true renaissance that we contain, the true proliferation of culture and art and beauty and love and all of these really cool things because we're kept in, sh in shackles and chains of scarcity. Um, so I don't know how the hell I got on that tangent, but I don't get to say that enough. Mm. I envision a world, and this isn't a utopia, okay? This isn't necessarily some pipe dream. I envision a world where when we don't have to deal with scarcity bullshit fighting, we can actually for the first time ever in human history let loose, have higher level thinking and philosophy and love and actually be for the first time ever completely fulfilled or at least more fulfilled as human beings and tap into our true na nature, not what we confuse as nature, which is really behavior, which is really a product of scarcity. Yeah, that's very interesting because a lot of people talk about the human condition and they ignore what that actually means because, I mean, condition and conditioning are the same thing. And human conditioning is not the natural state. Human nature is something completely different to the right. human condition. And quite often they're lumped in together. And I think you've just highlighted that dichotomy there. And I think it's a very important one to do because once we get, wrap our heads around that, we can start to separate the two and the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. And it no longer becomes about the social Darwinism, slave versus slave master mentality. There is something else there. You don't have to be a slave or a slave master. You don't have to strive to be at that proverbial top table or otherwise just grin and bear it and enjoy your servitude. There is something else. And that comes back to taking back the power. But until we realize the root cause of what's going on here, as you've been describing for the last hour or so, Bob, it's very difficult to do. It's almost like Alcoholics Anonymous. Until you accept that you might have an alcohol problem, it's very difficult to actually deal with that and address it head on. Exactly.
Exactly. I, I, I like to um, end today's show with that um, that thought that um, hopefully will inspire you and get you thinking um, and let you kind of take it from there. And, uh, you know, those that have listened up into this point, I have a lot of love for you. And you, by all means, are going to end up teaching me and helping me uh, put many of the thoughts that I convolutedly presented or attempted to present today into focus. And please um, reach out to me. Uh, reach out to me at the Free Your Mind Conference, of course. That's our big event, man. Yeah, tell us uh, about that. We're, we're really excited about the Free Your Mind Conference. We're coming back uh, to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We have people come in from all over the planet. It's become the premier event of its kind. It's the only one of its kind that I know of focusing on mind control, the occult, esoteric knowledge, solutions, and so much more. And it's a, compo it's a symp symposium, rather, of some of the greatest minds. Uh, we have the likes of Mark Passio. We have Jim Mars, Jordan Maxwell, Max Egan, Ken Rolla, so many others. Absolutely mind-boggling material. But the cool thing about it is not necessarily that you get to hear their presentations, which are all state-of-the-art, all groundbreaking in my opinion, mm -hmm. because you could do so by listening to a show like this or watching it online. Don't get me wrong. The real cool part about a conference like this is the synergy and the momentum built by getting together in person, hanging out, you know, drinking a beer if you choose to or whatever it is, you yeah. know, libations aside. And putting your minds together with all of these people that are at at least similar um, places in their lives, or even if they're not, there's some sort of commonality that is so strong and so powerful because oftentimes we feel alone and we feel as if there's very few of us out there. And that's the whole scarcity of us and doing this you know we don't see that abundance of people in our day-to-day -day lives that have these sorts of conversations we just don't see that and when we're put into a position where we're around 500 other people who again aren't necessarily on the same page believe me there's all <laughs> sorts of different people with all sorts of different areas of interest and whatever it might be but there is nothing like being around people that are at least thinking, thinking, period, right? They're mm. at least thinking. <laughs> and that right there, in a nutshell, is why the Free Your Mind Conference is so powerful and so important to attend. Uh, so this coming Free Your Mind will be in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, April 15th, 16th, and 17th. And uh, tickets are on sale now. I'm really excited about it. I have no idea what I'm going to be talking about. I might have to step, step down as a speaker because uh, right now my, uh, <laughs> my humble understanding is um, stuck at the moment with the thesis that I brought forth on your show today. Um, but maybe I'll expand on that some more and present new um, you know, components to that. Or maybe I'll by then come up with something completely radical and new. Um, but I'm so excited. We we are uh, really gracious um, to uh, we're really grateful rather to have 
so many people contribute in so many different ways, not just the speakers, but all sorts of great folks help and are a part of the Free Your Mind conference and the Free Your Mind groups that have popped up now. Yeah. Um, this kind of organically happened where all of a sudden, Colorado has a group of about 15 people that meet. I don't know if it's every month, every couple of weeks, whatever it is in their area. And it's called Free Your Mind Colorado. You know, there's a group in Washington called Free Your Mind Washington. There's a group in uh, Arizona called mm. Free Your Mind Arizona. And it's been something that has gaining has been gaining momentum. And it's just really awesome to be a part of. And I can't stress it enough. And if you can't be there, please contribute in any way possible, um, because we do take on quite a bit of overhead with this kind of stuff. And unfortunately, the Federal Reserve notes are still a reality. At mm. some point, we make all the talks open source. Uh, Free Your Mind uh, 2014, 2013, I lost track. The Free Your Mind 3, anyways, the last Free Your Mind, where I gave my talk, Scarcity-Based Mind Control and the Liberation of the Mind, Body, and Spirit. That's all up at the Free Your Mind YouTube channel. And uh, we believe this information should be open source, but it's kind of a double-edged sword because in order for it to be open source, we need to create the abundance to produce these talks and to create this energy and event in the first place. Yeah. So, John, uh, thank you so much for letting me present that today. I hope to see you there, man. Well, I'm very looking for, very much looking forward to it. Um, I, I do plan on being there, as does the producer of this show, Stevie. So we're looking forward to April 15th to 17th. The website for anyone who wants to check it out is freeyourmindconference.com and we will have the links on our Alchemy site as well, of course. I feel, Bob, uh, before I thank you for coming on the show again, I, I feel we've only just scratched the surface and with, uh, with your permission, I would love to have you back on once if not twice before April so that we can talk a little bit more about topics such as maybe authority fallacy and um, some of the health things that I know are close to your heart as well. And... I certainly plan on speaking on air to a lot of the speakers as well in advance of Free Your Mind. So you can think of us as your little hub for Free Your Mind over here on the far side of the water because we certainly will endeavour to push things as much as we can. I think it's a hugely worthwhile event. While I haven't been yet and will be next year, I've spoken firsthand to quite a number of people both in the UK and Ireland who have and nobody has had a bad word to say. In fact, people have just spoken and ranted and raved about the uh, vibratory positivity that just yeah, had a residual effect in their lives yep. for weeks and months afterwards. So I think it's something that people should stick in their diaries and by hook or by crook, there's always a way to make these things happen. And I certainly plan on making it happen for me and for Stevie. So we'll certainly see you in April, Bob, definitely. Awesome, John. Thanks again. Uh, keep that uh, aluminium hat on strong. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we'll talk soon, man. I I'll, promise. I'll we'll stick it in my toaster oven. Thanks so much, Bob. Oh, that would be dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much. I look forward to speaking again soon. Thank you, Bob. Thanks. Alchemy. Alchemy. Status, actor, tapping your favorite actress. Gucci, rockin', Gucci, poppin', movie, 
don't stop it. Six exotic, mix hypnotic, superhero role, boy, I'm bionic. You a fan on some level, I'm a supersonic. Girl, you got it, you can strip like comic, entrance to melodic, technotronic. Beats, rockin', seats, dropping, seats, poppin', streets, rockin', freakin', shakin', money, makin', stylin', and be a fly. I'm the one the lady ladies chose to strip back both to take off their clothes to chose to the one that go coast to coast or Mr. Global Focal. Let's go, uh. enjoyed this week's episode of alchemy we've been away for a little while a brief hiatus is what we'll call it i think and we've got one or two of the issues that we had in the past sorted Uh, remember we rely on your donations to keep the show in its current free and advertising free format and we're very very grateful for any help that you can offer there's no fixed cost on donations and it all helps so if you could spare the customary price of a cup of coffee every month it would go a long way towards keeping us afloat our donate button is on the website and your support and assistance is hugely appreciated until the next time I have the power you have the power we have the power alchemy alchemy care will intelligence imagination alchemy